Welcome to Vegan Business Talk with Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business. Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Vegan Business Talk. I'm Katrina Fox, journalist, author, media and PR coach, copywriter, editor and proofreader, and founder of Vegan Business Media, a content, events and training platform providing success tips for vegan business owners and entrepreneurs. In this episode, I interview Stephanie Prather, co-founder of the Vegan Gastronomy Culinary Academy in the Spanish island of Mallorca. Vegan Gastronomy is a vegan cooking school that offers in-person training in the city of Parma with a focus on teaching students to create healthy, delicious, sustainable and economical vegan dishes. Through its global vegan program, it also takes its training on the road to other cities across the globe and has recently partnered with equipment maker Fisher & Paykel to offer classes in New York, Sydney, Australia and more. Stephanie, who lived in Las Vegas for 20 years, has had a varied career, including selling mortgages to seniors, working at an LED lighting company and teaching children. Food has always been her passion and in 2013 she started Mallorca Vegan, a guide to the island's best restaurants, eco-farms, workshops and wellness facilities with a plant-based focus. After running short workshops in vegan cooking, she opened Vegan Gastronomy with Manuel Lynch to respond to consumer demand for more comprehensive training. Stephanie writes a weekly vegan column in a mainstream newspaper, the Mallorca Daily Bulletin, covering new recipes, restaurant reviews and healthy food. In this interview, Stephanie talks about why she chose to run in-person trainings rather than online courses, what to take into account when running live trainings in a physical location, the importance of pre-selling courses to ensure you get a minimum number of students to cover your costs and make a profit, the importance of attending events and conferences to keep up to date with the latest information in your industry, particularly if you teach and train others, how to approach potential partners to collaborate with and the key personal quality you need to muster to make this successful, how she got a column in a major daily newspaper and how this helped her business, and much more. Here's the interview with Stephanie Prather from Vegan Gastronomy. Hello, Stephanie. Thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Katrina. No, it's great to to speak with you, especially um, yeah, speaking to you. And you're in uh, Mallorca, which um, is pretty cool, a fabulous um, part of Spain. So we'll we'll talk about that um, in in a little bit. But first of all, I always like to kick off the the podcast interviews with finding out what people's drivers are for running their vegan businesses. What's your why? Why do you do what you do? Well, I love this question, and uh, I've been a foodie my entire life. When I was a child. A little girl, I guess many little girls play with dolls, uh, and I didn't. I, I played restaurant. So <laughs> I, I always liked being around food. I would ditch church, uh, and, and I would go help out in the church kitchen. So then I worked my way through uni at uh, in restaurants, dated chefs, and always loved to cook for friends and family. So food's really been a passion, a thread throughout my life. So I've really changed from being a, a traditional foodie of all foods, and now I'm, I'm a vegan foodie. So the, the why is that I believe we all have to eat every day, and I think the why is life's too short to eat bad food, tasteless food, and unhealthy food. So the fact that I can put that into my daily life and my daily work, uh, that's been a, a true blessing, and, and I'm grateful for that every day. Wonderful. Now, I was looking when I was you know, doing a bit of research on you, you've got quite a, an interesting background. You've gone from selling mortgages and then working for an LED lighting firm and then a shift into educating people like plant-based education. You ran or run the, the Mallorca Vegan website um, and now the Academy, which you I think you're in your third year with now. So um, tell us a little bit about how did that kind of come about, that transition um, into what you're doing? Well, I've always had a drive. I've always loved teaching people. And when I was in the mortgage business, I was teaching people actually how to uh, 
not outlive their money. Uh, so it was, I had a, there was a, there was a, there was a large, <laughs> I love system. that phrase. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I work with seniors and that was their biggest fear was to, to uh, outlive their money. And, and it's a, something that's on many people's minds. And, and, uh, I love to, when I switched and I was working with, I worked with children when I was, I did, um, I lived in New Zealand for a while and I taught children in the inner cities, uh, how, how to grow fruits and veg, how to, to make what, the, what they harvested in the garden, bring it into the kitchen once again, because we all have to eat every day. And, and I feel it, people get much more passion and even people who don't like to cook, get excited and smile when they're pulling food directly from the, the ground in the garden instead of out of a box. So mm-hmm. we then came to, to Mallorca and well, I love to cook. I don't love to cook every single meal of my life. I enjoy eating out. And so we started Mallorca Vegan, became, became a company that was really a, a more tailored guide, not unlike Happy Cow, that pointed people in the direction of healthy restaurants, wellness, also places where the hotels that were open to having healthier foods on their menus. And we made that something that was our, our focus for quite a while. And then that transitioned ultimately into the academy after I began uh, doing some writing here for the paper. Fantastic. So why did you choose to do an academy? Because you were running, like you say, you were running Mallorca Vegan, the website. Right. Um, how, what, what, what kind of made you, because there's lots of different ways we can, uh, you know, be in plant-based education and you've got, uh, yeah, an academy uh, where you hold in-person courses there in Mallorca. So uh, tell us why you chose that particularly. Right. Well, I had actually been working with some, uh, a woman who had done a, a, a vegan bakery. I was working with some folks who own some vegan restaurants, even yoga studios were asking me to do some education and some one-off, as I call it, workshops. And after the workshops, we found, Katrina, that people wanted more information. They were enjoying the workshops. They liked the three- or four-hour sessions, but they wanted more. So then we looked at the idea of actually opening the full-blown academy, and that's been – it's really taken off since there. So we looked at it, and, and of course, there are going to be many more challenges than just having the, the workshops or the, the brief sessions – but we felt as though there, were, there was such a need and, and we were right about that. Fantastic. So to what were you touched on there actually about some of the, the challenges? And I do like to, yeah, to ask vegan business owners what some of their challenges were and how, how they overcame them. So what were some of the key challenges when first starting up the academy? Well, of course, there is there a need. So we addressed, I think we found out that there was a need, but then we looked at were we in the right location? And I think because, as you mentioned a few minutes ago, we are in person. We don't do anything online. Um, and we wanted to make sure that this was feasible for people to come here. Um, so you need to look at your demographic. Is, is your location feasible for the time length of the duration throughout the year that you would like to have students? So being here in the lovely Mediterranean, we do have a fairly mild climate. So it's been, uh, from a geographic perspective, it's been a good choice. We also have a, a very um, qualified and capable airport, thankfully, because we are an island. Uh, 99.9% of the people come via, via airplane uh, versus boats. So that, that's another factor to consider. So uh, think location and uh, ease of getting there, as well as uh, people come to us not only for the vegan education, but people do enjoy traveling. So we have that built-in travel component. You know, dare I say, uh, one could choose to put in, uh, uh, we, we, we wouldn't want to put our, our vegan academy in Siberia. Not to, not, not to, knock, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not to knock the lovely, lovely parts of the world, but um, with the climate, with the remoteness, and, and with just doesn't have that, that mystique of people liking to go there for potentially for, for vacationing and holiday making. So... Yeah, because I was going to ask you about Mallorca. And I mean, because, I mean, do you find then are your customers, your clients, like people who are actually coming and taking a course, are they predominantly based in Europe or close to Europe? Because I'm just wondering, because obviously there's a lot of people in America who, you know, love, you know, want to learn about, you know, vegan cooking and everything. So uh, is that been a disadvantage being in Mallorca in terms of perhaps attracting an American clientele? Or are, just curious about your demographics about where, where people are coming from to do your courses? 
At the outset, when we began, most of the people were closer to Spain. We had mostly uh, Italian, Spanish, and sprinkling of, of German people. But as we've grown, we've actually expanded. And now we've actually found that not only has it not been a liability, it's actually been an advantage because so many uh, Americans particularly do enjoy uh, coming to, to Europe. And they feel they have a desire, of course, to learn something about vegan or vegetarian food. Oftentimes it might be a, a, par, a, a pair, and maybe one person in the pair has a desire to come to our school. The other one wants to come along and really enjoy maybe the nice golfing or the, the uh, snorkeling or beaches around Mallorca. So it's been actually been uh, something that, that's helped us. And because there aren't too, too many other other schools like ours, and once again, our, our nice location, we actually are, are having people come from truly all over the world. We have people from Asia, from South America, from from the U.S. So it's really from all over now people are coming. And it, dep- it does vary based upon the time of the year. We see more Americans, for example, in the summer. Got it. Our, got our, it. our summer, sorry. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, got it. <laughs> no, that's cool. So in terms of the, the challenges of running like, because you've chosen to, obviously there's lots of online, um, you know, courses, like, you know, teach me there's a hat, but then, you know, you're doing actual in-person courses. So what are some of the logistics and challenges in running those live events and making a profit to be able to run your business? Right. Well, of course, you have to look at uh, how many students are you teaching at any given time, uh, what your current physical space is. Um, we want to make sure that people really get a, a tailored training because, of course, you know, with, with, with online videos, and there's so many of them, and I watch many of them, and people, some of them are fantastic. Um, some of them could, could use a little bit of polishing, but uh, there's just a wealth of information out there online. But uh, as you can imagine, when you're looking at something online, you can watch it 16 times, but you can't ask questions. So you're not getting a tailored experience. So we we like to always build in a little bit of room for, because pe- we know people have questions. Um, so that's number one. Number two, um, the difference also between between our school and traditional online. If you look at online, it's really geared toward Katrina. And in my mind, in my perspective, almost 100% on the cooking piece. And while we are a cooking academy. We actually go beyond so much beyond that because we really believe so much of why many of us, excuse me, have have become um, vegans and vegetarian uh, started as vegetarians, then transitioned to vegans, is for the nutritional and the health aspect. While it's only a portion of, of the components for some people, we all we do bring it into the school. And while we're cooking, whether it be with the actual ingredients themselves and or the, the, the final dishes, we do speak a lot about nutritional components. So with logistics um, and, and running those live trainings, we can make some of those point, we can point out those things. We, we can, uh, once again, go into a little bit more detail if people have deeper questions or if people have more experience in that area, we can kind of gloss over them. Sure. I guess that I mean, in terms of the challenges, I'm thinking in terms of obviously running an in-person academy, there's going to be things like higher overheads um, involved because you've actually got that live venue. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So we do have we do have those fixed costs of of the day to day operation of the, the brick and mortar, if you will. Of course, then there are also food costs, which aren't aren't as much, but but those are hard costs as well, because we like to make sure everyone gets a taste of everything. Um, of course there are also, um, utilities and then there are also even little bits like, uh, aprons and, and uniforms, that sort of thing, knives, sharpenings, those sorts of things. Got it. And do you, um, you have, like, do you have instructors like guest instructors or do you employ people to teach or do you do the teaching yourself? How does that work? We have in-house staff instructors, and then we do have instructors that we have um, visit from time to time. We've actually had people from uh, the UK, from Germany and France, also people from Croatia, So, because we do like to bring in a lot of different ethnic uh, backgrounds. We've had a Swedish instructor, so those, uh, an Indian instructor. We have uh, what we call a weekend warrior series. We bring in people and, and they will do 
many of the specific ethnic cookings from their regions. And many of these are some of those comfort foods that many people have grown up with for years and decades and, and generations. Uh, I call it almost um, what you might have had at your grandmother's house. And many times these are these were not vegan ever, but then our instructors have then since converted them to all veganized them. And then they are now then taught in our school. Cool. So do you find then that you need to, because, you know, obviously like you say you've got all those overheads and you've got, you know, the instructors and everything to pay. So do you pre-sell, do you find that pre-selling helps? So do you like only run a course if you've got like the minimum number of people to make it viable? That's right. Absolutely. And, yeah. and we make, we let people know that ahead of time. And so one of the other I guess, challenges that you mentioned, um, or we could talk about too, is that people's schedules do change. You know, we do have some people booking out right now, for example, we're starting a new cl uh, a class next week, and we'll even have some some last minute people that will sign up. Uh, but we have plenty that are already in the class, so of course we're running that. But then we have people that might sign up, and then and then some things change in their life, and they might need to postpone when they come. So it could be a personal issue, it could be something in their work life. But we do have to be flexible in that way as well. So even though we do have a, a roster that might be full. Sometimes we've actually had it go down as people have wanted to change and come at a later time. Right. But do you find you have to balance that out so that you're not left kind of, yeah, with, with less people, fewer right. people than you need to actually, right. yeah, right. that must be, yeah, a tricky it's one. With that. Yeah, it's almost like with, you know, I think with, with ch teaching children when they you have a larger classroom, if we do have an enormous class, we'll actually have more instructors or People will offer to people for people to come at a different time. So it's it's on both ends. So we don't want to have it to be too small, but we also yeah. want to make sure that people still still can have a nice low student to teacher ratio. Uh, yes, cool. student to yes, that's right. Yeah, now that makes sense. Now that's good advice. Um, so and I believe, am I right, Nikki? You also do, or you have a, a like a plant based consulting business that also runs out of Las Vegas. So you're spending your time between Mallorca and Las Vegas. How does that work, and what are some of the challenges involved in that? Well, I'm based here in Mallorca, so uh, I I had spent about 20 years living in Las Vegas, so I have many contacts friends, relationships, that sort of thing uh, in in Las Vegas. And from time to time, I do help restaurants. Um, some of them are already plant-based and helping them overhaul their menus. Um, other other times, it's more traditional restaurants that are looking to add more plant-based bits to their menus. I also work with um, um, some local catering companies. And a lot of it is remote, so it's not necessarily uh, mostly in-person so we can do a lot of that with the wonderful world of electronics and, and uh, remote workings. Oh, fantastic. So as well as having the academy, you've got that different branch of your business as well. Which right. It's great. Yeah. Cool. So in terms of staff, then obviously running a business and, you know, particularly running, like you say, a physical academy, there's, um, there's a lot involved in running a business. So I'm curious, what, if any expert help do you have or have you used to grow the business, whether that's hiring staff or contractors or professionals? Well, it's definitely been hiring staff because we want to make sure that we have a full complement of, of um, and breadth of well-qualified staff. We've also utilized some um, at outside marketing consultants, um, although some of us on staff have some strong backgrounds in that area as well. But we like to, to outsource and, and to bring in other folks to do some one-off consulting now and again. Um, also, I think it's really important that people, uh, when they're in a, a, new, a business, whether it be a new one or an established one, it's really important to maintain and to constantly, um, well, not, not just maintain, but to constantly grow and to increase one's knowledge base. So we're constantly going to professional conferences. I was in, um, I was in Milan last year for the, uh, actually, yeah, it was, Milan, it was two years ago now. Gosh, because we're 2017. Ooh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for a fruit and vegetable scheme conference. Um, I, I go to nutrition conferences and I think it's really important to, to interface with folks that, uh, because we, we, once again, as I mentioned, we do have a, a large nutritional component to our school, 
We talk about the benefits of various uh, elements in cooking and why they're beneficial for the human body, as well as, of course, beneficial for the for planet Earth. Um, but it's important to keep up on, on new research and to always work that, weave that in to the daily curriculum because without that, then that's just, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, growing up, I, I, there were so many textbooks that were decades and old and there was really stale information. And I think it's important to stay up, to stay current and to keep, because information is evolving on a, on a weekly basis now. And yeah. there's so much more that's coming out. It's really a shame to have all of this, this fantastic information not utilized. Fantastic. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense. That's really good advice, actually. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the marketing side of things now. Um, and I know you've already touched on how your academy um, is different to others, which I love, you know, the fact that it's also, you know, a holiday destination, you've got the um, the nutritional side of it as well, which is great. A lot of um, marketing gurus nowadays say that businesses should stop thinking about, you know, having competitors and instead embrace them as collaborators. Um, and maybe do some joint ventures. So what are your thoughts on that? And have you done any such kind of partnerships? Oh, I love this question. You know, I wish every single, every interviewer would ask me this because I really do feel as though it's not competition. I agree 100% with the collaboration in the entire sphere because I believe anybody in the vegan or vegetarian space um, that we all are truly on the same team. And some people are really 100% dedicated to only working uh, with vegans and with people who are maintaining 100% vegan or vegetarian lifestyle. Um, ironically, we have found that only a minority of our students actually are vegans. So, oh, really? Yeah, we're, we're, we're very happy about that because we, uh, as we say, we're, while we're happy to get information to everyone, um, we're happy to not always be preaching to the choir, if you will. We're, we're happy to have the, 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 the pond, uh, the, the, the impact in the pond with the, to go out beyond just our own little portion of it. And so I think it's really important that people do uh, work together as we are constantly having inquiries from traditional restaurants uh, about uh, recipe development, ab about um, accessing our ex-students because they are interested in hiring chefs. It's something that we do help with our ex-students. Many of them are looking to either facilitate their CVs and to try new paths in their current careers or to, to completely separate and, and go to this switch gears and embrace this not only just as a passion or a hobby, but also as, as a new career, because we do find many of our students are rebranding themselves. They've come to this point in their lives. We've had ex-lawyers, uh, accountants, um, people from all walks of life who have then decided that this is their their current passion where they've, they've liked to, to shift and, and move into this area. Fantastic. Can you talk about any strategic partnerships that you've worked with? Because I know, I think when I met Manuel, when he was here in Sydney, he was talking about, I think there was a collab potential collaboration oh, with yes. quite a large oh, right. equipment with, manufacturer. With Fisher and Pagel, yes, yes, yes. So that's something that, that uh, we're looking at doing not only in Sydney, but also in New York, because they are a, obviously, um, for those who are Com, uh, comfortable in the kitchen. Fisher & Pagel is known as a, an upmarket brand of um, dishwashers and, and many other um, bits, machinery used in kitchens. And so we are partnering with them. Uh, we're in the final stages of the talks there because of, of their uh, respect within the culinary arena um, we're happy to to have the opportunity to utilize some of their their machines as well to talk about the benefits of, of, of utilizing their products and vice versa. Okay, so basically it works out that you kind of promote their products and they donate products to you. How does that kind of work well, without they, going they, into specifics, they but just have, the general? Right, they have various products. Uh, arenas and showrooms and cooking spaces that are available in 
in specific places around the world. At oh. this juncture, we're looking at New York as being our first one that will be later this year, um, where we'll be actually be doing some uh, demonstrations, some cooking. So we'll be in one of their spaces. So it'll be a joint venture in that respect. Usually, okay. yeah, we, we do have a uh, a program called Global Vegan, where we do leave the wonderful, comfortable space of Mallorca, and we we, <laughs> we go on the road. So last year, I was in. Uh, I was in Cork, Ireland. I went to Brussels. Um, I was in. I did London. We were also in Romania in Bucharest. So we do uh, go on the road, and so this will be our our first potential venue. And typically, when we go on the road, we we look at commercial spaces that are uh, general cooking spaces. So. Um, they're often utilized uh, by a wide variety of different groups. And so this is the first time that we're going to be looking at working with one particular company that represents one specific, specific brand. Got it. Great. So did you just like contact them and they were just open to it? Like I'm just curious about whether you have any tips for, for people who might want to approach uh, another company for a joint venture. Are there any particular things they should um, take into account when approaching them? Yes. Anytime, anytime you, you want to know a tip, the word is uh, open your mouth and ask. Yes. So it's it, uh, while, of course, the low-hanging fruit, people might come and knock on your door or send you an email to your inbox. More often than not, it's going to be utilizing your assertive qualities, mustering those as whether they be natural or if they have to be really, if you have to dig deep and, and muster those. But it's about uh, making those calls or and extending those those ideas and throwing it out there and seeing uh, who bites. Did you have to have anything? Are they looking for something in particular? Did you have to have something particular in place? Like, I um, mean, I guess obviously some credibility or uh, do you know what I mean? Like how, so because they obviously could be approached by loads of people. So I guess it's about, you know, how do you kind of make yourself sort of appealing so that they choose you to work with? Well, we have built in, fortunately for us, Katrina, uh, as, as a group and as a demographic of vegans, we we realize it's becoming more well known on a daily basis that it's good for nutrition, it's good for human health, it's good for the environment. Of course, it's fantastic for the animals. So there is some credibility within the general uh, demographic that we have. Then it's important to play upon that and how to then carve out the niche that, that you had alluded to earlier. So then it becomes, you know, are you trying to get to, are you trying to appeal, for example, with Fisher and Pakel, more to the super amateur? Are you looking to help their current business base or help expand what they already have within their current uh, marketing sphere? Because most of these companies um, have are that have been more established are more established in the traditional sphere of cooking, if you will. So they are they if, to me if they're smart, they're always looking to evolve and looking to grow into new areas. So if they were looking at growing into other areas, I would think that veganism is is much more prudent than potentially going off and looking to explore maybe the uh, so like just solely looking at gluten-free because while gluten-free is an important part of the market, it's, it's a much smaller part of the market. Um, it's much more limited and uh, dare I say a large part of gluten-free is, is really gimmicky uh, trendy. Whereas, I mean, some people truly have a celiac disease. That's 100% different. I don't want to give anybody the impression that gluten-free is gimmicky. But, but in and of itself, gluten-free as a movement doesn't have the teeth and tenacity and, to me, the instant and the, the embedded credibility of, for example, the plant-based vegan movement. Got it. So what I'm hearing is that when you're approaching companies like that, you want to highlight the benefits for them right. and what they will get out of having a doing a joint venture with you, um, and then followed by boosting your own credibility and showing that you know you've got a good following and that you can get 
you know, bums on seats to do your courses. Yes, very well put. Yes. Cool. Got it. Okay, fantastic. So what about social media? Um, what social media platforms are you most active on in regards to the business, to the academy, and which have you found to be the most successful in terms of raising your, either your brand awareness or generating sales and leads? Definitely the go-to is still the, 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 the elephant in the room, the big behemoth Facebook. So it's definitely still there. Um, because of, I think the, the brand recognition of it, also the wide variety of of users. And then we can actually have different groups. We've just recently created a vegan resource network group, so it can be more interactive versus some of the other social media platforms are a little bit more one way, if you will. Um, the Facebook really seems because we can advertise not only events, but also we can put on their videos. We also have, we we put on our free recipes of the week there. Um, We have wonderful pictures that are integrated when we do use Instagram um, from time to time. And then the, because we all are, uh, well, because there's so much of people that we're a visual world and so much with um, social media is visual um, and so much with food and creating a desire and, and creating um, to whet one's appetite and to create those those uh, juices flowing within your mouth and your and your and mentally to look at something and to make and to have it look delicious. We have we want to have them beautiful content. So we do find that pictures are important. So that's where the Instagram comes in a little bit. But I'd still say, by and large, we rely mostly on Facebook. And like I said, um, the interactive piece is really important for us, asking questions. We'll do some surveying on there as well. I think it's really important. Um, it's fun to do. It's fun to see what comes out of a result of surveys. And it really keeps us in, co- in, in contact with our customers. Yeah, for sure. I've heard that Facebook groups are becoming quite popular because exactly for those benefits, like you said, you know, people ask questions and then you can find out what type of courses they want or what type of products and services they want. So I'm glad that you you raised that. That's fantastic. Um, So on the subject of media, I understand you've got a weekly vegan column in a mainstream uh, daily newspaper, the Mallorca Daily Bulletin, I believe it's called. How did that come about? Yes, yes. In fact, I'm very proud of that. Um, in fact, it's on. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's on. It's on hiatus right now. But um, I have. I started that. Oh gosh, about three years ago now. And in fact, I was the. It's the first vegan main, uh, column in mainstream media. So it's it's a daily wow. paper. Um, but I, I week my column was weekly, and um, I met with the editor. And I wanted to, I was interested actually in doing a, a one-off piece. And uh, when throughout the course of speaking with him and talking about the benefits and, and why I thought it would have a wide audience appeal, not only to, to mothers, but also to children and, and retirees, because we do have a good chunk of retirees here. Um, and he said, well, well, just dandy. And he said, well, let, let's, not only let's do this, but once, but can we do this recurringly? And I said, of course. So it was his idea to do it, to do it rec- recurringly. And it became very popular. And um, I'm happy to say that I even had some groupies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know you're doing it right when you've got groupies yeah, to your yeah, column. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was so what benefits to your business have you experienced from having the column? Um, well, it's truly been fun for me to access and, and get to some different places. When I, when I was writing the column, I would also um, do some reviewing of, of restaurants and, and that opened some more doors for me. And that got me to, um, it was much easier for me to do some interviewing when I was doing it for a professional purpose versus just my own, uh, own edification. Got it. Got it. Okay. So were you able to bring people, I guess, to the website at the time you were doing Mallorca vegan website? Did it help to sort of get people, get traffic to the website? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, So let's talk a little bit about in terms of 
aspiring or people who they've got the doing their day job they're doing them perhaps their nine to five um and they want to start their own business like you say you've already got people like um the people that actually come to you like you said you've had accountants and lawyers coming to do your courses and then wanting to have this whole new career direction in their life um but perhaps they've never run their own business before they've done the nine to five what tips or advice can you offer them before they make that leap from employment to self-employed I think people need to be as purely honest with themselves as they can be. Because as you know, I believe it's really important to have the self-discipline. Because if you don't have a job show up, if you don't have to be someplace at 9 o'clock, if there's no employer waiting for you, it's really it's really easy just to put off, to procrastinate and to put off something and do it tomorrow or the next day or the next day. So I think time management and and self-discipline are huge uh, components that people need to be honest with themselves if they have that ability to to be self-motivators. There's also, of course, the financial component. Do they have a a little bit of a cushion? Have they saved up enough money to go X number of weeks or months before a more – recurring consistent revenue stream is coming in depending upon the business it could even be years so and we do go into some of this with with our students because so many people have these these same questions katrina and we talk about the cycles what because it will make a difference if you're looking to consult versus opening up a juice bar or a full-blown restaurant in terms in terms of these cycles and in terms of recouping um also um, there are different investment costs, of course. Uh, there also are licensing requirements that need to be addressed. And, and really, I think, again, it, it's about look, being honest with oneself. And could you look at really wearing many more hats? Because if somebody is an accountant, he or she probably wears just, just one or two hats in his or her day-to-day job. Um, but it, it doesn't necessarily require a, as much um, diversification and a, as much multitasking as it is, it does to be a, a business owner or self-employed. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point actually. And you've touched on that in terms of the finances and, and situations, obviously every business has got startup costs and, and maintenance costs. So uh, can you talk about perhaps some of the methods you've used perhaps even over the years with your various businesses and what, what are the pros and cons of, of those? Well, definitely the cons are that there that nothing is guaranteed. So, um, and that's that's the people's biggest challenges. I mean, as a, years ago, also I I had worked um, within the mortgage industry. I also worked as a, a recruiter, and there it really was glaring to me that people really are seem to be cut from one of two versions of, of cloth. They either really like and have the, and enjoy the security of that paycheck on whichever frequency it comes versus they're comfortable in being their own boss and, and they have a, um, maybe just a different type of fortitude where they can realize that they could potentially make a lot more money, but they'll have to weather potentially some, some dry spells because of the various selling cycles and or startups of the business. So I think that's really important to, to look at not only, number one, do you have the financial resources to go for X period of time without earning any money, and B, how does that fit within your own self in terms of your own uh, philosophy? And, and you know, some people are fine with it, and other people are constantly sick to their stomachs, and I hate to say it, but it's just it, it really seems like it's not the right choice for them. So I think it goes back to even my, my answer to the previous question about being really honest with yourself and maybe um, evaluating whether or not you could potentially do something um, if you're not okay with be, being a sole proprietor, potentially forming a partnership with somebody. And if you can, because then if you can, can then become a partner with somebody if you have some holes in your, your particular skill set, if you found somebody who had complementary um, strengths, then you would potentially feel more confident in making that leap to 
being a business owner. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. And I, it, and I think often some of the most successful businesses can be set up in partnership where you've got, like like you said, that person who loves that security and is, you know, kind of very kind of small chunk in a way. And then you've got the more entrepreneurial, adventurous type, and they kind of balance one another out in right. some ways that can work. Yeah, that's cool. Thank you. Um, so obviously, and we, we've touched on, you know, some of the qualities that you, I think you've already answered about that you need to, um, yeah, to run a business. Um, are there any particular steps or strategies or things that you do or that you use now to kind of ensure that you have a strong mental and emotional well-being as a business owner because it can be you know quite stressful running your own business so anything you particularly do whether it's meditation or um, I don't know some kind of sport or anything that you'd like to share on that front spend as much time in nature with with animals okay yeah I think you know like (laughs) I mean, I, I, uh, I do, uh, I don't meditate as much as I, I it would be good for me, but I, I always, I end up walking my dog, Bruno. Uh, I love to spend time in nature. I'm more of a, a water person. So as much as I can be, um, out along the beach and along the water that, that helps me. But I really, we, there have been so many, uh, studies where they've shown that even just people, you know, watching fish or just being in the company of animals. I mean, it, it is funny, but I, I truly mean it, you know, get, get a cat, get a dog, borrow a dog, go, walk, go, to, <laughs> go to a shelter and go walk a dog. Uh, it's, it's truly, you know, and, and, uh, and if you can't do that, maybe watch some, some, some really cute little animal videos to, to reduce one's stress, I think, is really important. It's and, so true, actually, yeah. isn't it? I know people laugh about that and say, oh, internet cat videos, but they are, they do. You know, you just kind of can't help yourself. You're sitting in the computer. Like, I know I spend a lot of time online. And, you know, if I can't actually physically go out at a time, you know, even just like spending two minutes watching some kind of funny cat video, it does, you can't help but smile. That's so, right. Yeah, I think it's important for, for, for business owners to hear that. And it's important for me to hear it too as well, is that, you know, when you are busy and you're kind of, you know, doing everything, it is important to take that time out just to do something to have that that break. And it helps you to be more efficient. Right. Uh, I so. uh, Yeah. I know years ago when I was working with the seniors, I, I interfaced with a very well-respected leading gerontologist. And he used to pull out his prescription pad. And I'll never forget this. He would say, he would write down, um, laugh every day on his prescription pad and he would give it to all of his patients because he, oh, I he's, love that. yeah, he I spoke, love he's, that. because we look at it, actually, you know, we know meditation is good. We, we talk about breathing, but with laughing, we're utilizing our full bellies and we're having, and it's good respiration and it's fantastic for reducing stress and it's fun and it's fantastic. And, <laughs> You know, I, 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 gosh, I look at all these, I like to watch movies and it seems like all these movies come, Katrina, with all these heavy topics, you know, it's about, I mean, they're important that we look at, you know, for example, slavery and domestic violence, but they, they, there are all these movies that are so heavy. And I thought, ah, oh, you know, sometimes when I just want to, to disconnect, I thought, you know, give me a good old comedy. Yeah. Uh, and so, <laughs> so people, in fact, this doctor even recommended getting a, a laugh buddy. So that means uh, oh, that you get wow. you get somebody you get somebody with whom on a daily on your, your it's your schedule whether it be weekly daily you know monthly that that you and he, you and that person contact one another and you make one another laugh. And it's, that's so it's cool. Your job to make him or her laugh and vice versa. And so oh, that's that, so cool. I love that. Yeah. I've never heard of that before. That is really fabulous. Well, yeah, I love we talk that. about, you know, you, your, work, your workout buddy or your diet buddy, and they talk about accountability. But this is, this is yeah. you know, accountability, isn't it strange? We always think about accountability of like making each other do something that we don't really want to do. Yes. And, and no, I don't think I, I've never ever met anybody who said, I don't want to laugh. But we don't weave it into our daily lives because we just, it, it's not that, Oh, you know, that I don't have to get my 10,000 steps or I don't have to get my, you know, (laughs) drink all my water or, you know, get all these things ticked off my list. But really, if you make it part, if you make it a priority, it can be fun, but, but it's so easy to, to fall off by the wayside if we don't put it in our diary. Gosh, I don't know if it's a movement. It sounds like it should already be like a movement and a trend, like laughter buddies. I I like that. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a business 
there you a go. business idea yeah, in there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Hopefully some of your listeners can take it and run with it. That'd be great. <laughs> awesome. So look, a final question then, um, Stephanie, what's your long-term vision both for yourself and for the Academy? Well, originally my goal was to make Mallorca the vegan holiday destination in the, in the world. I think we're well on our way of doing that. And ultimately I would love to have um, our vegan gastronomy known um, as, as dare I say, a household name. You know, that this is something that we could be looked at as the, the go-to place, not only for um, – for, as we mentioned earlier, the holiday making and, and enjoying uh, a new p- place of the planet, but but also for learning uh, about uh, Mediterranean food here in the Mediterranean and with a specific, of course, vegan target base. Fantastic. It's exciting. I'm very yes. excited to, to hear about it. And um, it sounds absolutely um, amazing. So you've shared some wonderful tips um, and strategies um, that will be, uh, yeah, definitely of help to people in, in running their various different businesses. So it's been absolutely great speaking with you, Stephanie. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. So that was Stephanie Prather from Vegan Gastronomy. You can find out more at vegangastronomy.com and that link is on the show notes page at veganbusinessmedia.com forward slash podcasts and going to episode 57. Now for our vegan business news roundup. The vegan butcher shop trend is catching on. Canada is set to see a plant-based butcher shop open later this month, reports Veg News. The Very Good Butchers in Victoria, British Columbia, is the brainchild of James Davison and Tanya Friesen, who met while working at a vegetarian eatery in Vancouver. After their success selling vegan and organic products at farmers' markets last year, the duo teamed up with marketing specialist Mitchell Scott to open the store. Organic bean and grain-based meats made at a small facility on Denman Island are among the offerings and the company will also supply local BC restaurants and health food stores. Davison and Friesen plan to open another store in Vancouver as well as sell their products online. It's great to see more vegan butcher shops open. I love the way we're claiming and subverting the word butcher. If you remember last week, I reported that Time Money had cited vegan butcher as a top job trend in 2017. And this news certainly backs that up. Fantastic. Vegan food launches grew by 92% in Australia between 2014 and 2016, according to a report by global research firm Mintel. As many as 1 in 8 or 12% food products launched in Australia in 2016 carried a vegetarian claim, while 6% held a vegan claim. This huge increase in vegetarian and vegan-friendly food launches coincides with Australian consumers' growing appetite for meat-free foods. One in seven people, or 14%, said that they avoided or intended to avoid red meat in 2016. Laura Jones, trend and innovation consultant at Mintel, said, Although Australia is still one of the largest meat-eating populations globally, health and environmental concerns, along with costs, have changed Australians' attitudes when it comes to meat consumption. Australians have become more mindful in recent years of the amount of meat and the frequency of which they eat meat. Well, this is excellent news. Finally, people are starting to acknowledge that meat is bad for people, animals and planet. And with all the fantastic and innovative plant-based alternatives coming onto the market, it's easier and easier now for consumers to make the switch. The US's first dedicated all-plant-based food hall is coming to New York in early 2019. Home Food Hall is currently seeking 15 or more vendors to take part in the initiative, which is spearheaded by Veganizer NYC founder Kiki Adami and the founders of vegan confectioners Rescue Chocolate, Michael Muller, Otis Duffy and Sarah Gross. 
According to the company's website, along with delicious, compassionate and sustainable foods, there'll also be a boutique fitness space hosting classes including yoga, pilates, dance, meditation, kickboxing and more. The space, which is located in Midtown East, is versatile enough to also hold events such as private film screenings, book launches and after parties. To apply to become a vendor, fill out the application form at homefoodhall.com. Finally, musician supplies company Daddario Accessories has released a range of vegan guitar picks and straps with a Beatles theme, reports Veg News. The company used a leather alternative to recognise legendary Beatles guitarist Paul McCartney's belief and dedication to animal rights. The straps feature designs of iconic images from album covers, including Meet the Beatles, Revolver, Yellow Submarine and Sgt Pepper. The pics contain similar imagery and are available in collectible tins. Now, I think this is important because it shows companies are becoming more aware of the need to offer vegan lines or options. And of course, the more popular they are, the more likely the companies are to consider adopting these for other items. And as I've mentioned before, and I also teach in my PR training, it's a clever move to create products that are aligned with a celebrity. I've reported on makeup brands bringing out ranges dedicated to TV shows, for example. Now, in the music company's case, of course, they'd have to get permission to use the album's imagery and Beatles logos. So make sure you don't breach any copyright laws. But it's a strategy that's worth considering as it can get you media coverage. And it also opens your products up to fans of the celebrity. And of course, there's the chance that the celebrity may even tweet about it, which of course can result in lots and lots of sales. So that's it for this episode of Vegan Business Talk. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate it if you gave it a review and rating on iTunes or any other platform you're listening on. Finally, I encourage you to head over to veganbusinessmedia.com where you can find more resources, including details of my media and PR consultations, copywriting, editing and proofreading services to help you grow your vegan business. I'm Katrina Fox, author of Vegan Ventures, Start and Grow an Ethical Business, and I look forward to catching up with you in the next episode of Vegan Business Talk. Bye for now. 